0: Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be looking at, <coughs> excuse me, verses 4. Through 25 together, and then actually next week we're going to come back and we're going to look at a few more verses within chapter two. And so this is going to be kind of a two-part message this morning. But we're continuing, as you as you know, our sermon series in the beginning. God. Over the past several weeks, we have looked at the importance of recognizing that God is the creator of life and spoke all of life into existence. As we've done over the past few weeks, let's do it this morning. Let's read Genesis one one together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke everything into existence. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. God works; makes it clear God is, God was, and God always will be. So again, now this morning, we're going to transition into chapter 2. Um, we, we were here last week where we concluded the days of creation. And, and now this morning, what we're going to do is we're actually kind of transitioning into a new phase of Genesis. We're going to be looking at, um, from now through the end of chapter 11, at man and woman within creation. And so this morning, our message point is this. A perfect environment created for man and woman to enjoy. Remember, God created everything for his pleasure, his praise, and his people. Humanity, you and I were created to enjoy that which God created. So notice our first point this morning. We're going to look at God's sanctuary, the Garden of Eden. So read with me, beginning in verse 4, we'll read through verse 15 Um, for our first section of scripture this morning. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man who had been formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Hivala where there is gold, and the gold of the land is good. Bedlam and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. So beginning in verse 4, we read of um, the, we read this. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Some of your translations may say this is the history of the heavens and the earth. Other translations may say this is the account of the heavens and the earth. These verses give us a, another picture of God's creation. In Genesis chapter 1, what we kind of get, I guess you would say, is we get the 20,000 foot view of creation. In chapter 2, the Lord hones in on his creation and gives us a little bit more detail into day three of creation as well as day six of creation. What we know about the Garden of Eden is it was a perfect environment. Within that garden, you had, um, it, it was a perfect environment that was created for man and woman. We also see in verse 4 that Moses introduces us to the proper name of God. Up until this point in Genesis, the name that we have studied has been Elohim, which means not just one, but God is more than one. Before time began, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Each existed together and each created together. Together. John 1 confirms this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus. Jesus was with God in the beginning, and Jesus created everything with God um, in the beginning. Now in verse 4, Moses reveals to us another name for God. The Bible tells us, "...in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heaven." I would assume that most of your translations, like mine being the English Standard Version, has the word Lord capitalized. That is significant because, again, this is God's proper name. In Hebrew, Lord means Yahweh, the great I Am. John Piper shared every time we hear the word Yahweh, or every time you see Lord capitalized in the English Bible, You should think that this is a proper name for God, like John or Peter or Tom or Mark. And built out of this name is the great I Am. And if you think back to Moses, um, when he's um, out in the wilderness tending to his father-in-law's sheep, um, out of the burning bush, the Lord spoke to Moses. What was the name that the Lord revealed to Moses? God said that he is Yahweh. He is the great I am. And and so Moses tells us of this in Genesis 2, 4, that the great I am, our holy God, created the heavens and the earth. Next, we are told that God created and sustained vegetation. Again, a little bit of this is a review of what we looked at a couple of weeks ago, but I want us to look at greater detail um, is what we're given here. We see here in verses 5 and 6 again, we know bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant in the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. So on day three of creation, God created vegetation, didn't he? He did not create all of the vegetation as we know it today. He created certain mature plants and trees that were ready for Adam and Eve to enjoy on the sixth day of creation. The environment was perfect, um, enabling plants to grow. Um, But however, we are also told that there would be other vegetation that would come later on. Um, there would be work for man to do. He was going to plant seed, and he was going to harvest that which he planted. Yesterday, Tom told me, or he talk, didn't tell me yesterday, he told me this morning, he said, "He said, hey, um, man, we, we, we tilled up the ground, and we're getting ready to plant a garden. And so what Tom is doing is he's doing what God created him to do from the beginning of time to work, to work the land. And so in a few... Months from now, Tom's going to bring bushels of, of, of food for all of us to enjoy together. So we're looking forward to that, Tom. Don't, um, hopefully, you're going to plant things that we like to eat, all right? We'll talk afterwards, and we'll, we'll nail that down a little bit. Um, next, in verse 7, we read of the creation of man. Notice here, the Lord formed Adam from dust. In verse 7, we read, then the Lord God formed the man of dust, from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. There's a lot to unpack right here, isn't there? First of all, probably the most important, something that most of you probably have wrestled with, or or it's kept you up at night, did Adam have a belly button? Did he? Believe it or not, this is something that's been debated throughout time. Another thing that's been debated is which came first, the chicken or the egg? I think we know that it was the chicken, but but it still has been debated, hasn't it? You know, um, we are told here that God formed man from the dust. Why dust? Of all of the elements that God could have chosen to create man with, why did he choose dust? I think it's safe to say that God chose dust because dust has zero value in and of itself, doesn't it? Even though I can go to Home Depot or Lowe's or Walmart and I can buy me a bag of dirt, um, probably cost me a few dollars for that dirt, that dirt has, for the most part, zero value in and of itself because there is a plethora of it, isn't there? It's still Regardless of the sticker that is put on that bag, in and of itself, that dirt has zero value. God will tell Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You know, someone actually broke out the... the, the um, the the carbon makeup of who we are as individuals. And I want to share with you a little bit about that. To begin with, our bodies are made up of 65% water. Our bodies also contain trace amounts of iron, phosphorus, sodium, calcium, potassium, magnesium, chloride, and the list goes on and on. When you calculate what the value of our bodies is that comes out to about $5. Your value as an individual is about $5. So go buy a bag of dirt from, from Home Depot, and that is the value of who you are. Know this, that is the physical worth of our, our bodies, dust and water and a few elements. You may have heard the story of the little boy who ran into his mom's room and exclaimed, Mom, is it true that we are made from the dust And that after we die, we will go back to the dust. And the mom said, yes, it is. He said, well, mom, I looked under my bed this morning, and there's either someone coming or there's someone going. (laughs) I guess it was time for that little boy to clean his room. In verse 4, we are told that God formed us. The picture here is that of a sculpture. We were taken from a lump of of dirt and clay that God brought forth from the ground, and we're told that he formed us and that he shaped us. And know this, he formed and shaped you into the masterpiece you are. He formed and shaped Adam into the masterpiece that he was. God took that dust of the ground, and with great care, he designed a perfect man. Stephen Coles shared, think about the remarkable complexity of the human body. Physically, we are the result of two sets of 23 chromosomes which unite at conception. A single human chromosome contains 20 billion bits of information, which corresponds to about 500 million words or 2 million pages. A person develops miraculously inside the mother's womb, emerging nine months later, with more than 200 bones, each shaped with exquisite skill to perform its function. The bones are attached to 500 muscles, some large, some small, some obeying human will, others acting apart from human awareness. Our brains have over 10 billion nerve cells connected to the body by a complex nervous system. Our skin has more than 2 million sweat glands, about 3,000 per square inch, to automatically regulate the body temperature. In addition, there is the circulatory, the pulmonary, the digestive and immune systems. We have eyes and ears, a sense of smell, taste and touch. And our complex emotional makeup, which allows us to feel joy and sadness, delight and disgust, love and hate. What did the psalmist say of us? In Psalm 139, 13 through 14, we read, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You are wonderfully and fearfully made by the God of the universe. And people like to say that we started out as goo. or we started out as a single-celled organism. So far from the truth. Every single one of us were created by our loving, holy God. But for Adam, at the moment of his creation, he would lie motionless on the ground. Perfect, physical specimen laid on that ground. But that body was lifeless. Until when? Until God breathed into his nostrils and gave him the breath of life. Adam would get his body from the earth, but he would get his life from God. My friends, you've, your value does not lie in your body or even in the things you do with your body. Your value comes from the life that God has given you apart from the breath that God gives each and every one of us you and i would not survive a nanosecond you and i love to boast about what we have done and what we have accomplished but in the end what is our life what does james tell us about our life james says in 4 james 4:14 4, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes You and I are here today, but we very well could be gone tomorrow, right? In who we are in Christ, that is what is most important. It's not in who we are physically, but it is in who we are spiritually. The Bible says in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There's only one way that you and I can gain access to God the Father. That is through God the Son. That occurs at the moment of our salvation. That occurs at the moment when we repent of our sins and cry out with our mouth and acknowledge that Jesus indeed is Lord and Savior of our lives. question this morning for all of us in this room is, do you know Jesus Christ? If you were to die today, do you know for certain where you would spend eternity? If you do not, then at the end of this service, we're going to have an end time of invitation. I would love to share with you more about how you can enter into an eternal relationship with God the Father. Next, we read about this sanctuary. In the sanctuary, there were two trees. We know that those trees, um, one was the tree of life, and one was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we'll look at in a moment. One was permissible to eat, and the other was not. And in the garden, there were also four rivers. Now, I know that there's a typo in the bulletin that's my fault. It says three, but it should say four rivers. There were four rivers in the garden. When God, What God created was a place of perfection, didn't he? Everything needed to sustain life was in the garden. It was a perfect place. It was a perfect environment. It contained a perfect ecosystem which enabled for the sustainability of life. There was plenty of food. There was plenty of water. There was plenty of everything that Adam and Eve would need to live for all of eternity within the Garden of Eden. It was a perfect place. And within this place, man was given free reign, weren't they? But there was some instruction that came with with, um, with, with, with creation, right? God gave some instruction to Adam. So we see that in point number two, God's instruction given to Adam. Notice verses 15 through 17 again. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. First of all, know this. God did not create us to be lazy, did he? He created us to work. Man was given instruction to work the land. There he would um, plant seeds and he would harvest that which he planted. You and I were not created to remain idle. We were created to work. Now, in the garden, in the early days of creation, that work was probably very enjoyable for Adam and Eve. But that work would turn into labor once sin came into the world, right? And so um, all of us were created to work. I want you to know, regardless of how old you are or how young you are in this room this morning, there's work for you to do. I read that in a 2018 um, journal that was put out by the New England Journal of Medicine um, they published an article that reported on uh, the, the, the um, productiveness um, of different age brackets in the United States. It found that the most productive age in human life is between 60 and 70 years of age. Preach it. There you go. There you go. The second most productive stage of life is from 70 to 80 Years of age. The third most productive stage is from 50 to 60 years of age. The average age of a Nobel Prize winner is 62. The average age of the president of some of the most prominent um, companies in the world is 63. The average age of the pastors of the hundred most, um, our largest churches in the United States is 71. The average age of the Pope is 76. What does this tell us? Tell, it tells us that the best years of your life are between 60 and 80. If you're on the front end of that, you're still in some of the best years of your life. If you're on the back end of that, that doesn't mean that, you're on, um, that, you, that you can just hit cruise control. Because as long as you've got breath in your lungs, there is work for you to do, isn't there? Know this, you still have value in the eyes of God because God still has given you the breath of life. Notice next, all of us were created to choose. In verses 16 and 17, we read, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God did not create a bunch of robots, did he? God created you and I with the freedom to choose. From the very beginning of time, we were given the ability to choose good from evil, right from wrong. Before woman was ever created, God gave explicit instructions to Adam. And those instructions involved the two trees in the garden. That one was permissible to eat from and the other was not permissible we know that in the end adam and eve chose poorly didn't they they listened to that whisper in their ear they were told that they could become like god if they would eat of the forbidden tree they ate and genesis 3 happened right we'll get there in a couple of weeks but before a bad choice was made a wedding occurred Notice our final point this morning it is this, a marriage made in paradise. In verses 18 through 25, we read, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe it is possible for there to be a perfect marriage? How many in, of you in this room have a perfect marriage or were part of a perfect marriage? Raise your hand. Tom, good. Tom, I'm proud of you back there. Terry, your wife's not here, so you didn't have to raise your hand. Okay, Here's the reality. There is no perfect marriage, isn't there? Because when you've got two... I'm sorry to disappoint you, Tom. When you've got two sinners that, that, that commit to become one, that means you've got two personalities, and, and there's going to be some, some, some trouble and turbulent waters along the way. There has never been a perfect marriage. There was one marriage that in its infancy was absolutely perfect, Believe it or not, ladies, there was a man who once lived who never left his clothes in the middle of the floor. There was a man who once lived that never failed to take out the trash. There was a man who once lived that listened to every word his wife spoke to him. There was a man who once lived that did not snore. There was a man who once lived that never forgot a birthday anniversary and there was once a man who lived that never failed to put the toilet seat down It's hard to believe but there was a man unfortunately even that perfect man would become imperfect just like the man that you are married to today we're told in verse 18 that it is not good for man to be alone the lord god said it is not good that the man should be alone i will make him a helper Fit for him. I'll be the first one to say amen to that. Without my wife, I would be lost and helpless. This is the first time that we have read since we began Genesis chapter one that something is not good. What does this tell us? It tells us that 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 man on his own has a tendency potentially to get in trouble. I know that if I try to live independent of others that I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to do some stupid things. I'm going to say some stupid things. I'm not going to live the most holy and upright life that I know that God created me to live. Man, how many times have you gotten into trouble because you tried, something, tried to do things independent of others? Way too much, probably. But even in a perfect environment, in a perfect world, it was not good for Adam to be alone. So as we continue reading, we read of the desire that was created in, in man for a wife. So God prepares a desire within man for a wife. In verses 19 through 20 again, we read now, Out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heaven, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called, every living creature was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Do you see what what happened here? What God does is he he parades in front of Adam, two by two, all of the livestock, the horses, the cows, the cats, and the dogs. The birds of the air flew right by um, Adam, and Adam gave every single one of them a name. But at the conclusion of naming all of those animals, Adam was left wanting he was left with the desire within his heart for a mate. He saw every animal had a mate, but he was left without a mate. And so what does God do? God gifts Adam with Eve. So verses 21 through 25 again we read, so the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And that and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and shall be called woman, because she was taken out a man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So within this passage of Scripture, the very, that we, we, we read of the very first surgery ever performed. God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He cut him open. He pulled out a rib. He, he, he closed up that womb, we're told, with flesh. And out of that rib, God formed woman just like he formed man. He took great care and gave great detail into the creation of woman. And then we're told after woman is created that the Lord brought the woman to the man. Kind of a picture of a wedding ceremony, isn't it? I bet you when Adam saw Eve for the very first time, I bet you he got the biggest smile on his face, just like men you probably did when your wife walked down the aisle on your wedding day. Why? Because Adam had finally found someone that he could call his friend and his companion. We were not created to be alone. God gifted us with woman and man so that we could do life together. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody um, is going to get married or everybody will stay married or should be married. Even even Paul was single, and he said it's good for him to be single, but it's not good for all people to be single. What we're going to do over the ne- um, next week is we're going to really focus in on marriage. We're going to look at um, A little bit more at Adam and Eve, and we're going to look at um, just, just verses 18 through 25 a little bit more in greater detail. But folks, remember, you and I, man, we serve a God who loved us so much that he gave us the breath of life. You were created for a purpose, and that purpose is to change the world that you and I live in, isn't it? So that we can know God and make him known. God created everything for his pleasure, for his praise, and for his people. He created this world for you to enjoy. He created it for you so that you could live within it and come to know God and live for eternity with God. Again, as I asked earlier, do you know Jesus this morning? If you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? If you don't, I'm going to be here at the front. I would love to share with you more about how you can enter into an eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer, and then if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you again for another opportunity to gather together to worship you. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that if there is someone here that is yet to put their faith and trust in you, that today will be the day of their salvation. Father, I pray that if there is someone here in this room this morning that questions how valuable they are, they will recognize that their value is so great that you came to this earth to die for them. You came to provide a way for all of us in this room and every person outside the doors of this church to enter into an eternal relationship with you through faith. So I pray that if there's someone here that is yet to repent of their sins and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, I pray that today they will do that very thing. Lord, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come.